We are uh, talking about marriage for uh, the past couple of weeks, and whenever you do a marriage series, obviously, you know, not everybody's married, and so sometimes the singles can feel singled out. <laughs> yeah, anyway, <laughs> so tonight, in the end of our Death by Marriage series, we're talking about you singles. This is for you. If you're single and you're proud of it, raise your hand. All right, everybody, single people, look around, look around. Potentials? No, I'm just kidding. The title of the message is putting the sing back in single in the church. All right, we want to say welcome to our Taunton campus. They watch these messages by video. Good to have you with us, Taunton. Everybody in North Attleboro, give them a hand. Good to see you. Glad you're out here. Putting the sing back in single in the church. If there has been a wrong message that the church now, the church, has sent to singles. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. I grew up in the church. Some of you grew up in the church. Maybe this message will be totally foreign to you. But let me tell you something. To those of us who grew up in the church, we know this line. That it almost, is, it almost feels in the church like unless you're married, you're not really there yet. Like, you know, your life doesn't start in Christ until you got the marriage thing and the kids thing and the white picket fence thing and the house thing and all that stuff. And, and, and it, that's been kind of the message that's been sent um, maybe, you know, subconsciously, maybe, you know, without uh, bad intentions, but, but that's been the message that's been sent. I went to a Bible college. I went to a college that was geared toward getting into the ministry. It was a uh, great school. Loved the school. If I could only say one thing that was negative about the school, there it was a pressure cooker for marriage. It was relentless. And it was this mentality. Students, teachers, the president, everybody in the school. That, that, that you know, obviously you came to Bible college. Where else to get the perfect, ideal Christian mate than in Bible college, and it's like a pressure cooker for single people. So I know the single pressure out there. I know the single pressure from the church. I've experienced it firsthand. I remember, you know, many of my friends who I went to college with that got engaged and married far too young, far before they really understood what, who they were and where they were going, that they would get engaged at like 18, 19, and today I have to tell you the honest truth is that I can count on one hand the number of friends that I had that are, that are still married and in the ministry that were married while we were in college. The vast majority of my friends, this is not, you know, I'm not putting the school down, but the vast majority of my friends from that school are divorced, are out of the ministry. And I get it, singles. I've been there. Um, and, and those of you who are here and you're single, we... We want to send a different message to you, and, and that begins tonight, because too long, the church has been kind of like, um, have, has everybody seen my big fat Greek wedding? Big fat Greek wedding? Tula's father, remember Tula's father? Everything is cured by Windex, and, and he, would, he would tell Tula, what's wrong with you, Tula, right? He would say what? Get married, make babies, you know, that was kind of the message of that movie from the father, and unintentionally, it has been the message of the church. Now, I am not talking about the message of the world to singles. If there's a, another like horrible message that's being sent to singles today, it's by the world, and that is to get married far too late in life. 
you know, the message of the world is wait, wait, wait until you're only 40, you know. Wait until you've got your doctorate in three degrees, you know. Uh, you know, wait, wait, that's the message of the world. And so it's good and it's bad, and we don't want to fall into either trap, but we do want to, I think, honor the single people among us. I think that we want to have a biblical perspective on singleness from the Bible. This is the source code. This is the source of life. So, so let's find out what the Bible says about this. And many of you who are here and single, we want you to understand something, that this faith, and listen to me, married people as well, this faith that we espouse, it was started by three single men. John the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul the Apostle. All three were single. So let's get away from this idea that the ideal Christian life is two Christians marrying, having Christian kids, a Christian cat, Christian dogs, and playing Christian checkers all night. Let's get away from that, and let's get back to what the Bible says. This is why you need to bring your Bibles to church. This is why you need to be in church. This is why you need to get in the Bible yourself, because we're listening to all these other voices in the world, in the church and in out of the church, and we're not even listening to what God has said. You can't go wrong with what God has said. And so let's find out from him. Sound like a good idea? All right, let's get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read um, a portion of this chapter. I want you to stand with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and, and we're going to skip around. So just bear with me. I don't want to read the whole chapter, but I do want to read a majority of it. Singles, this is for you. Married people, you should be here as well this weekend, and we're glad that you're here. Pay attention. You're going to want to uh, share this with your children when they grow up too. Here's what it says, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, that translation from the ESV is actually off. I don't want to read it from there. I, I'd rather read it from the NIV. It says, it is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a man not to marry. That's from the Bible, and we'll get to why he says that in just a moment. But because of the sexual temptation that is so prevalent, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Then we read from those verses last week. We don't need to read them again. Let's skip down to verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were uh, as I myself am. This is Paul. He's single. In fact, theologians, historians believe that he is actually either divorced or widowed or something happened. So he's single after having been married. And so he says, I wish that all could remain unmarried after marriage or, or as I am. But each has his own gift from God. Some have this gift, some have another gift. Um, and then he says this, but if they can't, I'm sorry, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. The other Bible, so the other version says to burn with lust. Uh, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Only let each person live the life that has been assigned to him. Do you know that you have an assignment from God? 
and your assignment is not anybody else's assignment. It is your assignment. Stop worrying about everybody else's assignment and just look at your assignment and be happy with your assignment and thank God for your assignment. Your assignment is special to you. Amen. And then he says this, uh, was anyone at the time of his call circumcised? Well, then let him not remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone uncircumcised? Well, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts, but keeping God's commandments is what counts. Let's skip ahead to verse 25. He says, now concerning the betrothed or to the virgins, he says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, somebody say these words, present distress. Those two words are the keys. They are the linchpin of the entire chapter. What is the present distress that he's talking about all these things with? In light of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, don't get married. Uh, he says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Isn't that funny? Anyway, um, he says, look, uh, if, if a betrothed woman marries, she is not sinned. Yet those who marry in this life will have many troubles, and I would spare you that. And all the married people would say amen to that verse. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. <laughs> and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as if uh, the goods were not theirs to keep. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This life is not forever. We are going to go to an eternal life, and it looks nothing like this. We are going to heaven. We are going to be with God. What we have here, it really doesn't matter in light of the spectrum of eternity. Amen. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. To the unmarried man, I mean, sorry, he says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And by the way, he should be. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman or betrothed woman, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband, and she should be. Amen. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. By the way, do you realize that everything in this book is for your benefit? It's for your benefit. It's for your good. If you do it, it's going to go well with you. If you break it, it will go badly for you. This is everything you need to know about the Bible right now. Everything in this Bible is written so that it will go well with you. The Bible is not out to get you. The Bible is not out to spoil your fun. The Bible is out to empower you and bless your life. He says, I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to, mo but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, will be pleasing in your sight, and that we will hear a word from you, Holy Spirit. We surrender ourselves to you, and we ask you in Jesus' name, speak to every heart, change us, transform us, renew us in our day, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you have to think it's a very confusing passage. Because everything about 1 Corinthians 7 seems to contradict everything else the Bible says about marriage. 
because I've talked about it now. We've talked about it for three weeks. Marriage and the Bible are very united on, on, on the same team. They're, they're for each other. God is for marriage. And the Bible is there for healthy marriages. And so in this chapter, we hear Paul saying, well, it's better not to marry. And, and you know, if you're not married, then don't seek a wife. And, and, if, and he even says a funny line, which, which I thought was funny. He says, if you have a wife, you know, start living like you don't have one. Like, how many guys know that's not going to go well for you? You start doing what the Bible says there. So, yeah, okay, let's look at that passage in context. Because here's a rule about the Bible. Scripture can never mean what it never meant. Scripture can never mean what it never meant. In other words, you have to go into the context. You have to unearth the historical situation. And you have to say, why was this written to this group of people at this time? We did that in week one with divorce. Many people think that the Bible's for divorce. The Bible's not for divorce at all. Moses gave them a law about divorce because they were mistreating their wives. And so that is in the context of that passage of why it was written. So you can't just take a 2,000-year-old book and apply it on the surface level to our time and our day. Listen to what Paul says in verse 1. Again, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you heard it, but he says this. About the matters that you wrote about. He's talking about questions that the Corinthians had sent to him. And this is a church that Paul had started. And the book 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in the first century. And by the way... Historians tell us that it was actually his second letter to the Corinthians. They wrote a response back. He wrote a response back to them. That's what we call 1 Corinthians. And they wrote a response back to him again. And then he sent them another letter. And that's called 2 Corinthians. So there is something happening in Corinth around the time of Paul's writing that is essential to know so we can understand why Paul is seemingly so anti-marriage. What was happening? Well, first off, he says, verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, because of what's happening now, don't do anything. Stay right where you are. Well, what's happening? Well, I dug it up a little bit. Historians tell us that during this time, around 70 AD, in the city of Corinth, there was a massive food shortage. There was a famine, and you couldn't eat, and you were star people were starving in the streets. It was hard to live and how many know that a famine is difficult but when you have a child a famine is disastrous and he's saying look don't go getting married in the midst of this famine because you might not be able to take care of yourself the way you need to take care of yourself secondly i found out that there was an earthquake right around the time he wrote this letter in the city of corinth and so these people are facing a hefty load of disaster, famines and earthquakes. And in light of these events, in light of the famine, in light of the earthquake, Paul says, it might not be the best time for you guys to go getting married. Right now might be perfect for you just to settle in, relax, and, and hold up under your own and get through this time because right now is not the best time to introduce children and introduce uh, difficult relationships into an already difficult time. So, 
What's the lesson for us today? Is the lesson then for you and I today uh, this? uh, Don't get married when there's an earthquake or a famine. No, that's not the message. The point that I want to make, point number one, if you're taking notes, take out that piece of paper and fill in the blanks along with us. Point number one, there are times when marriage should wait. There are times when marriage should wait. You might need to get going professionally before you seek a wife. We talked about that in week one. Men, before Adam gave him Eve, before God gave Adam Eve, God gave Adam job. So Adam, before you meet Eve, meet job. And so men, before you meet your, your heart mate, your heart, your, your heart and soul wife, whatever she's going to be to you, uh, meet job. Get yourself going professionally. Have an income. This is a good thing that God wants us to do. You might need, number two, you might need more education. Going to school with a family is tough stuff. When you're single, you have every opportunity afforded to you in this country to go and further your education and take it from me. You're going to want to do that before you get married sometimes. Sometimes it's best to just get those degrees before you get the marriage going on. Because when marriage comes along, it's going to suck every ounce of energy out of your body. And you're not going to be able to get going educationally. You can. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm not saying that you should never get married until you've got all your degrees under your belt. That's not what I'm saying because many people find a new degree halfway through their life and realize that they were doing something bad for themselves the whole time and now they need a new direction in life. I'm not saying that this is a hard and fast rule. These are suggestions. And by the way, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, in light of all this stuff that's happening, this is a suggestion. Why not just stay where you are? I think it's better to remain as you are. So educationally, number three, I thought about this. Some of you need to grow emotionally. Some of you need to grow emotionally. You're you're fed this steady stream of romantic comedies that tell you that the fulfillment of self is found in someone else loving you. Let me tell you something. Nothing could be further from the truth. Your fullness is only found in Christ and Christ alone. Knowing who you are in Jesus is the only way to find out who you really are. So don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. Look for love in Christ. Find who you are in Jesus. Because no one, no one will fulfill you. Even even if you're dating somebody right now and you're thinking, oh, that's baloney. I found the love of my life. Flowers are blooming. Spring is in the air. I'm singing in the shower. You're not in love. You're infatuated. Love is different than infatuation. And yes, infatuation happens. It happens to everybody. And praise God for infatuation because if it wasn't for infatuation, none of us would get married. But love is hard work. Love is laying it down. Love is death by <laughs> marriage, dying to self. Now, I found out this, this, this uh, statistic about the, the statistic that we are handed repeatedly about marriage in the church and in the world. That 50% of marriages end in divorce, right? Well, a, a study by the University of Virginia was done to look into this actual research, this actual statistic, and they researched and found out That while it's true, the number is actually lower than what you think. They found out that, first of all, yes, 45% of marriages end in divorce. 
But the greatest percentage of divorces happen to those who marry before the age of 18, who have dropped out of high school, who have had a baby together before marrying, who do not go to church, and had parents who were divorced as well. And so they found out that the, the, the facts are these. If you are a reasonably educated person with a decent income, come from an intact family, and are religious, and marry after the age of 25 without having a baby first, your chances for divorce are very, very low. So let's not just throw out that statistic without understanding why this happens. Sometimes we need wisdom before we make a life-altering decision that's going to cost us in the end. The message, singles, is this. Sometimes marriage should wait. And I say this in love. And I say this to those of you who are thinking, well, well, well my, my boyfriend wants to take it to the next level, and I, I don't know, should I, should I do that? Stop. This is a life changer. This is an entire world changer. Don't make this decision lightheartedly. Use wisdom. Ask people who know you. Ask your parents. Ask your friends who know you. And stop being so in love that you don't listen to anybody anymore. Learn how, the Bible says in James, everyone should be slow to speak and quick to listen. That's not there so that you just feel bad about yourself. That's there so that you stop using this and start using these and learn how to protect them. I'm really preaching right now, but nobody's responding. Amen, somebody. <laughs> point 1A, if there was a, a sub-point here, there are times when marriage must it should and must. Different words, but it's a fact. Like, say you're recently divorced. Don't go running back into marriage. Don't, don't go running back into the dating. Let there be healing. Stop getting all caught up in the moment. Because, you know, the, the least trustworthy facet of our beings are our emotions. <laughs> it's amazing how we will throw out wisdom, intellect, Smarts, book knowledge, education, for the sake of our emotions. And the thing that gets us mostly in trouble is our emotions. The Bible is very clear about this. You've got to hear the word. You've got to be taught. You've got to be educated. You've got to learn and understand. Get wisdom, the Bible says over and over and over again in Proverbs. Don't get emotional. Get wisdom so that you may guard your heart and don't awaken love until it is ready. So there are times when you need to heal. Look, if you're divorced recently, if, somebody, if you are widowed or a widower recently, you know, the Bible says uh, very quickly in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time to mourn. There is a time to mourn. A divorce is like death. It's the death of a life. Mourn. It's okay. You, you get into a small group. Get into a go group. Start helping somebody else out. The best thing that you can do for your emotions, by the way, is serve somebody. You ever notice this? The, the, the times when you feel the best about yourself is when you use yourself to help somebody else. And so you're struggling with your emotions. You're struggling feeling bad about yourself. Get into a go group and go out and think of somebody other than you. And it will bless your life. Is what Paul says. 
uh, verse 32. And, and, and by the way, I want you to highlight these passages. I want you to underline them if you're single because you've got to hear the word of God. Verse 32, it's going to be up on the screen too. He says, look, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And then he says the same thing about wives. He says wives who are married, they can't, they can't just give themselves singularly to the Lord. Listen to me, single people. You have a prime opportunity right now to give yourself fully to the purposes of Jesus Christ without any encumbrance. Now, I know, look, I know that the world is like so hard to live in when you're single. Because there's temptations all over the place. All your friends are going to the clubs. Uh, you watch uh, sitcoms that, that celebrate being single and very sexual and being in everybody's bed every other night. And all this junk that's a lie from the pit of hell and will take your life straight there. I understand that this is temptation. But look, sink yourself into the kingdom of God. You've got a very good church here. We've got a lot of singles here. This is a great church for single people. I found out most of the people that come to this church are single. Get again into a go group. Get into a small group when we have them again. Sink yourself into the family of God and let God use your life now to the fullest of his capabilities. And then when it is right, God will bring the right one alongside you. I had, a, I had a guy come to me <laughs> a little while ago, and he said, you know, I think I need to get involved in this church. And I said, yeah, you do. And he said, he said, yeah, you know, I've been looking for a wife. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, don't look for a wife. <laughs> look for Jesus. Find Christ. Know him. And, and then when, when you've got that in control, then let the Lord decide who you should marry. I'm proud to say, by the way, I made it through four years of that college, and I did not get married. I didn't date anybody during those four years. I wanted my education completed. I didn't care. My friends were getting married. Everybody thought I was weird. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that game. Got a job as a youth pastor. Was living in a two-bedroom condo all by myself. Hallelujah. And wouldn't you know that the pastor of the church had the most beautiful daughter at just the right time. I didn't have to go search for her. She sought me out. Amen, somebody. And it was awesome. <laughs> it was fitting. It was proper. And it was, it was just the Lord brought her to me. Doesn't, doesn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of heaven? And all these things will be added to you. You will not have to search them out. You will not have to worry about them. You will not have to stress it out. It will be added to you at the right time. And which brings me to point number two. Your goal shouldn't be to get married. Your goal should be to get Christ. If you're filling in the notes with us. Your goal should not be get married. Your goal should be Get Christ. When getting married is your goal, 
you will fill your life with a ton of unnecessary anxieties. When it's all about getting married, you'll get filled with all these worries. There's the, um, I'll, I'll name them for you. <laughs> There's the, I'll never get married anxiety. I'll never get married. All my friends are getting married. Where's my, my, where's my marriage? I need my marriage. Everybody's getting married. Stressing out, praying all to high heaven for marriage. When there's nothing in the Bible that says, find a wife quickly. Doesn't say that. Okay? There's the, my biological clock is ticking anxiety. I only got a few childbearing years left. Need me a man so I can have some babies. Oh, that's perfect. Basically, you're looking for a sperm donor. Just relax. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you. All right, uh, number three. The what will my family think if I'm not married by 40 anxiety. Some of you, this is serious. You come from families like my big fat Greek wedding, and, and there's a whole bunch of pressure there. Listen to me, parents. Back off. Seriously. I, I, know, I know Christian parents who are so involved in their grown-up children's lives, it makes me sick. Butt out! Let them grow. Let them become themselves. You don't have to call all the shots in their lives. They have got to grow up. And by the way, they will make mistakes. They will blow it in many ways. They've got to learn for themselves. They're not kids anymore. But uh, there's wisdom, yes. And parents, absolutely, be... Give them wisdom. But then at the end of the day, let them make their own decisions. And, 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 and single people, yes, listen to mom and dad. I don't, wanna, I don't want to, you know, just trounce over that because there is wisdom in the council of, mo in, the, in the multiple minute council. So obviously there has to be give and take. But look, don't make marriage the goal. <laughs> You'll be much better off if you just live for Christ. All right, number, th uh, number four. The nobody loves me anxiety. Nobody loves me. Look at all those married people. They're all so happy. You know why they're happy? Because they're in church. Get them home. See how happy they are. Get them alone in their car when they're on the way to church. See how happy they are. Come on, married people. Let's be honest. How can we fight? We're on the way to church. Perfect timing. Let the Lord heal you when you get here. Amen. But this idea that we have to get married, we have to get married. It's a goal in my life. Don't make it your goal. <laughs> You'll live much happier. I want to read from uh, the message. The message is Eugene Peterson's um, paraphrase of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. Check this out. I love this. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. God, not your marital status, defines your life. And that goes for married people too. Because I, I think I'm talking to some people here that you're in an unequally yoked thing, an unequally yoked marriage, and you're stressing out constantly. Look, that thing might never come right. But don't let it hold you back from moving forward in Christ. You can still move forward in Christ in any situation. Unhappy marriage, happy marriage, uh, divorce, singlehood, whatever. You can move forward in Christ. And don't let marriage hold you back. 
verse uh, 32 of 1 Corinthians 7. It says this, I want you to be free from anxiety. This is why he's writing it. I want you to stop worrying. So, so you, you're concerned about getting married. Don't, don't worry about that. And, and by the way, can we just, can we please put to death this idea of a soulmate? Knock it off. It doesn't even come from Christianity. You know where it comes from? Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, all the humans were both male and female. This is actually kind of gross. And Zeus, according to Greek mythology, st uh, struck lightning down on earth, and everybody was separated from their themselves. And that we are destined now, because of Zeus's decree, we are destined to roam the earth trying to find the other half of us. This is Greek mythology. You laugh. I, this has been brought into the church of Jesus Christ. When did we ever get garbage from the worldly religions and bring it into the church? This is nonsense. You are, you, you, you are telling me, if you believe in this soulmate stuff, you're telling me that the God of the universe, who has everything to worry about, who's got to keep Pluto spinning around the sun at just the right speed, has have to sit there and worry about you finding the exact right person for you at just the right time. Give me a break. God has better things to do than to worry about your happiness. Seriously. We, we, we are in a culture that has defined self as the center of our world. It is not so. The moon doesn't follow you around when you walk at night. Do you understand this? We're in a culture of me, me, Facebook, Twitter, everything about me, 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 me. You are not the center of the world. Stop acting like it. Astrophysicists have actually have, have, have found out that there is no center of the universe, so that confirms it. You're not it. God is not up there hoping that you find the other half of you. Again, <laughs> that's why I bring it back to week one. Only two things, only two areas. Compatibility. Christian faith, and you got to be of the opposite sex. That's it. That, and, and by the way, Christian faith is so important because what it everything about this Bible is so powerful that it won't matter. If you do this, it won't matter who you marry. This is what, this is, don't you understand? That's why the Bible says that's the only two compatibility issues you've got to worry about. Because this book is so life-giving, so life-changing, so life-transforming that you could be married to the second son of hell who's a Christian and still make it work because of the power of the word of God. All right. Number three. <laughs> Marriage isn't the only way to have a family. If you're filling in the notes, marriage is not the only way to have a family. You need to understand how Christian, how Jesus Christ changed everything. Why are we all about Jesus? Why are we all about Jesus in this church? This church talks a lot about Jesus. I just believe in God, God, God. It's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything changed when Jesus died on that cross and rose from that grave. It's all about Jesus. Now, he changed everything. He changed everything. He even changed how we produce offspring. 
you know this? When Jesus came and died on the cross, the Bible says he gave us new birth. New birth. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. In the ancient world, your entire definition of your life was tied to how many children you had. Did you know this? This is why Abraham is filthy rich in Genesis. He's filthy rich, and he's worried to death that his servant is going to inherit everything, and he's going to die nameless. This is why he's worried about, when am I going to have my child? Because everything is tied to your offspring, everything. And it's not just in the Bible, it's in the entire ancient world. You were noble for having many sons. If you were barren, it was like God cursed you. Why? Because your lineage defined you. It carried your name. It made your name great or it made your name small, depending on how many descendants you had. Now, when Isaiah comes on the scene, he says something extremely curious. And I want you to see it with me. Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus came along. It says, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, these are people who cannot have children, to eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm, if you keep my covenant, if you stay with me, I'm going to give you a name that children can't give you. And then he goes on and he says, I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. An everlasting name. And it will have nothing to do with having children. Because when Jesus came and died on that cross, he established a new family. A new paradigm on how a family is. A new paradigm on the very definition of family. That because of Jesus, we are no longer Irish and Italian and African and Zulu and South African and Chinese and Japanese, but that if we come to faith in Jesus Christ, all those ethnicities are dissolved and we are all now one in Jesus Christ. No male, nor female, Greek or Jew or, or slave or free or rich or poor. Everybody's the same in Christ. This is beautiful. It has redefined family. Your, your, your nobility is no longer tied up in how many sons you have. Your greatness is no, matter, no longer tied up to how bad or how good your children become. Why? Because you are part of a new family in Christ. Now this is why, this is why, and bear with me Catholics, former Catholics, when, when Jesus is told that his mother's and his brothers come to see him. In Mark chapter 3, it says this. Jesus responds, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looks at those who are with him and he says, those who do the will of God. He is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is my family now. The people who obey God. In Luke 11, there's a woman that cries out and she says, blessed is the, the womb that bore you and the and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus responds to her. And he says, listen, more blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Why? Because it's not about my mom or my dad. Now it's about the family of God and those who obey the word of the Lord. In Mark chapter 12, verse 25, 
Jesus says something absolutely shocking to everybody who is hearing. He says, look, when people rise from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. What did Jesus say? Marriage ends this side of heaven. It's over. Single people, be encouraged. You've got a head start on the afterlife. <laughs> That's how it's going to be. My wife is not going to be my wife in heaven. She's going to be my sister. Here on earth, that would be gross. Up in heaven, no problem. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we are now part of an eternal family. Now, here's the good news. Singles, here's the good news. Every relationship that you have on this earth will end. Everyone. I, even if you're married, one of you is going to die eventually. You don't both die at the same time, just in case you were wondering. And there might be divorce, and you might lose a child, and you might lose a parent. God forbid all those things. But the fact is this. Every relationship, paternal relationship, physical, human relationship, this side of heaven will end. But there's one relationship in your life that will never end. The relationships that you have with people of like faith in Christ. It's not ever going to end. We're going to go right to heaven, and we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ there. And we're going to spend eternity with each other. Amen. If you don't like the people in your church now, you had better start working on it. Because you've got a long time ahead of you. With the same people, but thankfully there's a number, no man can number up there, hallelujah, there's going to be plenty of people to meet, so we won't bug each other. What I'm saying is this, marriage is not the only way to have a family. I mean, I just need to have a family, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. You'll be stressed. You'll be worried. You have a child, oh, it's a wonderful blessing. In the hospital, sitting there, oh, I got a baby. Everybody comes and visits you. It's wonderful, wonderful. I'll tell you, that was the most precious moments of my life when our babies were born and everybody came and visited us. Then four days later, they give you the child and say, get out. And you're on your own. And it's worrisome and it's stressful. and it's, You panic about the stupidest little things there. Okay, so I'm trying to help you. Listen, don't worry about it. It's hard. It's, it's not the ultimate life. It is a difficult life and it's difficult in a different way. So don't make it your goal. Serve Christ. Love Jesus. Have a good time now, right where you are. Marriage won't fulfill you. A person can't solve your problems. Only Jesus Christ can give you everything that you need in this life. Surrender to him and it will go well with you. I want you to stand with me.